what I mean by trajectory of pain is that when you think about the most painful moments of your life, when you go back to those moments and you remember just how deeply in a hole of darkness you were, and then you think about yourself now, and then you go back again to the person you were before that deep dark hole. Do you see the difference between how you are now and who you were even before the darkness, even before that pain, even before that trauma? You're always better off now than you were even before. Hi guys, welcome back to Chat with Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining me today. On this episode, I have asked Maria to be a guest. Maria is an intuitive energy healer and certified Reiki master. I first came across Maria from my friend Yasmin. Um, she received distance Reiki from her. I had received Reiki one time in Thailand, um, but I hadn't received it since I'd been back in the States. And so I reached out to Maria and asked if um, she would be able to perform a distance Reiki session with me. And if you don't know what Reiki is, it is a form of energy healing. So in our body, we have um, seven chakras, which are energy centers. And um, through Reiki, the person performing is trained to read the energy of the person, um, read their chakras, understand where the energy is lacking in their bodies, um, or what chakras are closed, which ones are um, open. It's just, it's a lot of intuitive energy work because really we all are energy and everything is energy, right? Everything is a frequency. So this person is trained and, and has gifts and is intuitive enough to understand what parts, what energy um, in your body is closed off, is not um, circulating properly, you know? So it's it's very intuitive, It's and but you are trained in this. And guys, when I tell you, it was phenomenal. Like, so relaxing. She was so intuitive with everything that she read and about my energy and my chakras and... She gave me um, little, ad like some advice to help me in areas that I was struggling in, and everything she said was so on point. I was blown away. She is incredibly gifted. She is such a genuine and caring person. And so after that, I started following her on social media, and just loved her like absolutely amazing. She is super genuine about her posts and she is very inclusive and just shares very, very good information. So I am incredibly excited to um, have you guys listen to this episode. We talk about so many things. We talk about relationships all the way to um, healing and transformation and how we go through these painful times in our life but at the end of it when you look back you realize that it was for the greater good and it was to become a better you so this episode is jam-packed it is a bit longer than my solo episodes um, but it's full of good information really beautiful information so grab a snack 
if you're listening in the car, be careful driving. <laughs> um, and let's just hop on in. I would like to welcome Maria to um, my Chat with Chelsea podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for asking me. This is exciting. Yeah, when I um, decided that I wanted to start having people on the podcast, you were, of course, one of the first people that I thought of um, asking Aww. if you would like to join. Um, we had such a good connection when we did the distance Reiki, and I, I just really felt so connected to you. And um, then I started following you on social media, and just everything you post, it's so real and authentic and genuine. And it just, I, I love to, to look at your social media, you know, whenever you post. So, of course, I wanted to have you on. Oh, thank you. You know, you've inspired me in so many ways through yours as well. I'm not sure that we've ever talked about this, but um, that poetry account that I just started, which is terrifying me every single day. This is, I mean, this is the, the most excruciatingly vulnerable I have ever been in a public sphere before in my entire life. And it's, uh, it's because of you. You, you really inspired me to do this. When you, before you announced that you were starting your coaching business, you did this series of 10 days of really deep, vulnerable truths about yourself. And watching you do that, it was, it was, it was life-giving to watch you do that. And so while I've been posting authentically for a while, you know, I, I actually just posted a couple days ago about the difference between authenticity and vulnerability. You know, you can be authentic without being entirely vulnerable, heart flayed open, like here, here's my entire life on a silver platter, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference of that is having boundaries. And so I've, I've maintained my boundaries, I think, fairly well while still being my most authentic self and sharing what I think people need to hear, what, what parts of me they, they would like to know uh, mm -hmm. without kind of just blowing everything out. And then you you did this series and you, you still maintained boundaries, but the way that you did it was just so raw and vulnerable and open and the ownership that you had over your story and the, the empowerment that you not only gave to yourself in that post, but to all of your readers, we received empowerment by receiving your story. And, uh, and it reminded me of this quote that I heard on Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. Um, she was interviewing um, Seth Riggs, I think is his name. He's a, he's a director, a film director. And um, she was interviewing him and he said something that made my mouth kind of fall open. And, and I've never thought about it this way. And I had just seen your series finish. And then I had just listened to this podcast. And what he said was, that the greatest gift you can ever give to someone is your story. And I thought, wow, you know, I've never thought about it that way. I always thought, you know, nobody wants to hear my story. Nobody cares about what I have to say. Like they, they only care as it applies to them. And then I, I thought back to your, to your series that you did. And I thought, no, you know what? It really meant a lot to me to read that. It did feel like receiving a gift. He was right. Yeah, so, so the whole reason why I started this, this poetry account, I've been writing poetry for many, many years. I've been writing since I was a kid, monologues, plays, everything. Mm. And the whole reason why, I've never shared any of it. And the whole reason why I did it was, you just, you planted this little seed in my mind and it wouldn't stop growing roots. And then finally, I just 
realize that this is part of my story that in order to be most authentically myself, I need to share. So thank you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, I cannot even tell you how much that means to, to hear you say that. I, when I did that series, it really was my transition because I've always been the same. I've always been open and authentic about, you know, what I've gone through. And when I show up on social media, I usually try, to, I like, I don't put on a face, but that series was, was my transition of being like, you know what, this is me and you can like it or you cannot, but this is what I've gone through and this is just everything. And yeah, like you said, I just laid it out there. So to, to hear you say that, I am beaming right now. That is just, <laughs> it's so special. And it, oh, that's all I've ever wanted, you know? Going through healing and going through the transformation process, coming into my most authentic self, all I want is to share that and to give others the permission to be their most authentic self. Yes, yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, you know, my, my partner and I just recently split up and normally I wouldn't be the kind of person to share something like that on social media, uh, because people's personal lives are their personal lives. But in this instance, I felt like it needed to happen. And the reason why is because the lesson of this relationship was so important and, and people needed to learn it and people needed to hear that it was possible for them because my partner and I, my, well, my ex-partner and I, we love each other so much and we're so deeply invested in each other's happiness and well-being. And that is why we chose to part ways. Mm -hmm. We didn't do it because anything was broken in the relationship or we were fighting all the time or we were miserable or unhappy or we were trying to force you know, things, the, the relationship to work when it wouldn't, our relationship worked beautifully and perfectly. And we had all of this amazing love and care for each other. But we also recognized that we both had individual healing that we still needed to do. Mm. And Brene Brown, um, in her, in one of her, I think it was her Netflix series, she said, you don't work your shit out on other people. And, and that stuck with me for a long time. And I try not to, you know, that's, that's my therapist's job. That's my meditation practices job. That's my healing. That's my job to work my shit out, not on other people. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, when, when we both realized that we had shit of our own that we needed to work out, we thought, well, we love each other so much and we don't want to work it out on each other. So why don't we just not? Is it okay to be in love with someone and then just let it be this little perfect chrysalis of something and then let it go? Yes, that's okay. It doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to beat each other bloody with our opinions or our traumas or whatever until we can't stand each other anymore. Why don't we just not do that? And we could love each other forever instead. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I, I shared it on social media because this was the first time that he or I had broken this toxic cycle of our lives where we just force every relationship to work as much as it can work. And then eventually when it doesn't, we resent or hate the other person so much, we just never want to see them again. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the cycle. That's the normal cycle. But for us, we thought, you know, we want to see each other again. We want to be in each other's lives for forever. And we don't want to hurt each other in this way. So let's just, we can see it coming down the road. It's not here yet, but we can see it. So let's just, you know, walk around that wall and then we'll meet up on the other side someday. And that'll be, that'll be fine. So I shared it on my social media because I wanted people to understand that it is possible. That, that this can be 
the road that you choose to take. You don't have to hurt other people. You don't have to hurt yourself. As you do your healing work, you can get far enough along in it to where you no longer harm yourself or others. And that's like, yes, yes to all of that. Oh my goodness. I resonate so hard with that. I'm, I'm going through a similar thing where, and what you're, what you're talking about is boundaries is setting those boundaries for yourself. And he's setting those boundaries for himself. And that is, it's so special to get to that point where you can do that and you can do that for yourself and for others. Yeah. It's funny because I think back to the me of a year ago and the me of a year ago would not have been okay. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I, of course my heart hurts and I love him and I miss him of course. Um, and I, I do cry more often than I don't cry and that's okay. But I, a year ago, the me of a year ago, and I know this for a fact because the me of a year ago was in the middle of a door of divorce from my ex-husband. And then this relationship with my now ex-partner, it fell into my lap so fast that it was like, whoa. Mm. And that's a big part of why, you know, we're, we're taking some time now because we didn't have that time before. It was like the universe just threw us together. And, um, and sometimes I think it's funny that the universe does that, you know, it's that, that whole, what you don't repair, you will repeat, uh, whatever mm. lesson you haven't learned, you're going to be, you're going to be given that lesson over and over mm -hmm. and over again until you learn it and learn it good. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, you know, in this sense with my, with my ex-husband, a lot of, uh, a lot of those traumas and triggers were eh, vaguely similar, not, not, not super similar or else I would have been like super triggered and it would have been painful and this whole thing wouldn't have been as beautiful as it has been. But, uh, but there were, there were things that were similar enough. And, and I was just beside myself. I was devastated. I took everything really personally. I, I was not my best self. And it just goes to show how much healing can be done in such a short amount of time when you choose to really lean in and, and face, face yourself, face your traumas, face your past, face your future, and really ask yourself, you know, what, what do I want to do here? What, how do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Go, you know, in these last few years, everything about me has just changed so much. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even recognize me anymore. Mm -hmm. If you went back, if you met that person, she's, she's not the same person. Yeah. And I think that is the beauty of transformation. That is the power of transformation because i I feel that same way in my life. You know, people that knew me two, even just two years ago to how I am now completely, completely different. And I think that is, it just shows, like you said, how fast you can change, how fast transformation can happen if you choose to lean into it, right? That's the key, is that choice. You have to choose it. And that it brings up a question, which I would like to ask, is do mm -hmm. you think transformation is a choice or do you think it's inevitable? Oh, that is such a good question. I think it's both. I think you have to make the choice to start, but I think the choice is inevitable. Mm. So I think I'm one of those people who believes in reincarnation. So let me just start there. <laughs> I'm one of those people who believes in a universal lifespan. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason why I believe that, let me just quickly dive into that so that yeah. way our listeners can, can come with me on this journey. Yeah, of course. Is that the reason why I believe that is because of a few things. So one is uh, the law of energy. Um, the scientific law of energy states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be changed, which means the energy that inhabits your body and my body and all things has always existed and will always exist. It will just change in the way that mm-hmm. it exists. So whatever energy is inhabiting me right now might have been the energy of something else at some point, but it is now me. And this is all part of the same energetic universal lifespan. So that's what mm-hmm. I mean by reincarnation, right? Mm-hmm. I might turn into a star or something, who knows, but I will still have a universal lifespan. So that's one thing. And then um, the second thing is the law of impermanence. This is a Buddhist dogmatic theory, um, but actually, Western psychologists and um, sociologists have postulated this exact same theory for ever as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even though the Buddhists were the first ones to kind of really publish anything on it, it, this has been a unified thought throughout the great thinking minds, philosophers for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's this idea of change being the only constant. So there's nothing that's permanent nothing lasts forever. And if that's the case, if we can acknowledge that, you know, I mean, obviously we all have examples in our life that prove that change is the only constant. Uh, So if we can prove that change is inevitable, that nothing lasts forever, then that means that death can't last forever. Death is what, the only thing in the entire existence of the universe that lasts forever? No, that's not possible. That defies Mm -hmm. the laws of everything. So if our energy can neither be created nor destroyed and death cannot possibly last forever, then there, you know, that's why we have this idea of an afterlife in so many religions, right? Because death is just temporary. Mm. And so that's why I believe in reincarnation is this idea of like the idea of death being temporary combined with the idea of, of energy never ending. So when we start there, we recognize that if we've lived many, many lives before this, infinite numbers of lives before this, and we'll live infinite numbers of lives after this um, in some sort of state, that means that in some life, inevitably, we will, we will be forced to make this choice or we will come to this choice of transformation. And that's just, I mean, that's just numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. When you think about the expanse of the universe and how it goes on for infinity, what, what are the odds that we're the only planet out there with intelligent life? Right. I mean, it, this is just yeah. numbers. We're just talking about numbers now. And that's the same thing. If you consider how many lives I've lived before this and how many lives I'll live after this, eventually transformation was going to be the choice just just by sheer numbers. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Thank you so much for taking us through that. That. I've never thought about it like that, but that is, I mean, it makes sense, right? Just sheer numbers. Like, of course you're going to come to this choice eventually. Yeah. Um, and how beautiful that you're in it now and that you're experiencing it in this conscious body, in this moment, in this dimension, in this life. Yes, I'm really glad that it didn't have to come when I was a snail in my next life or something. That was <laughs> <been> unfortunate. <laughs> uh, the transformation process for me, I'm, I'm really grateful too. It's been hard, you know, and I'm sure you can recognize that yours has been too. I, I, would, I would be very surprised if anyone who goes through a giant transformation like you and I have gone through didn't do so by fire. Yes, the fire and the pain 
is what propels the transformation process. When I say transformation, what comes to mind? Post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. And I've always called it, I actually only just learned about post-traumatic growth from my therapist last week, in fact, but I've known, I know, but I've known about it for a long time. I've been calling it the trajectory of pain in my practice for a long time. This is what I call it to my clients. Mm -hmm. And so what what I mean by trajectory of pain is that when you think about the most painful moments of your life, when you go back to those moments and you remember just how deeply in a hole of darkness you were, and then you think about yourself now, and then you go back again to the person you were before that deep dark hole. Do you see the difference between how you are now and who you were even before the darkness, even before that pain, even before that trauma? You're always better off now than you were even before. So this is that trajectory of pain. You know, you may be here at some sort of plateau and then you drop down into a pit of despair. But then once you make your way out of it, you're, you're a higher level being closer to ascension, closer to consciousness, closer to your best self than you even were before you dropped down into that pit of despair. So the trend is always upwards. That's the trajectory of pain. It always takes you upwards. And that is exactly what post-traumatic growth is. Post-traumatic growth is um, it's a positive psychological change that we experience as the result of um, adversity and challenges, pain, trauma, and hurts. And it results in us having you know, a greater awareness of ourselves, um, uh, greater awareness of others and behaviors, our behaviors, our traumas, higher levels of functioning cognitively, emotionally, spiritually. And so eventually what, what we hope psychologists will be able to prove, this is a rather new area of psychology that people are, uh, that psychologists are investigating or um, experimenting with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they are doing studies now and hopefully we'll have more information soon. But, but what they're trying to prove is that generally speaking, pain is what causes transformation you know, you don't, transformation doesn't happen in a, in a static, in a vacuum, right? So um, some, most often there needs to be a catalyst. And, uh, and so they found, which I think is super interesting, uh, so far they found that the most likely um, candidates to experience post-traumatic growth exponentially, quickly, uh, effectively, are people who have resilience. And resilience is built in in the first five years of life. Mm. So I know, super interesting. I didn't know that either. But uh, so, yeah, my therapist told me that, that it's the first five years of life where resilience is built. And so what, sh- what that means is if you're a child and you are, you know, going to climb that tree, for example, and it's the highest tree you've ever climbed and you're like, I don't really know if it's a really high tree. I'm not sure if I can get through that. But I do know that if I fall and hurt myself, my mom is in the house and she'll put a bandaid on it and make me feel better. That is what causes resilience, knowing in your mind that there's always someone to catch you when you fall, mm-hmm. knowing in your mind that there's always a support system there, that you can always go home, that you can always reach out to someone, knowing that you have that is what creates a sense of resilience in someone between the ages of one and five. And not everybody gets that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is given that, that comfort, that, that safety net as a child. And so people who have that are more likely to be more resilient and therefore are more likely to have bigger gains in their post-traumatic growth 
but that doesn't mean that they're the only ones who get to do it. Mm. So if you have been raised in a household where you didn't have that kind of safety net or you didn't have that kind of feeling of being held and, and supported, then you will still experience post-traumatic growth, but it's going to be less instinctual and it's going to be more of that choice that we're talking about, right? So people with resilience, they automatically go into that, that mindset of like, okay, how do I learn through this? How do I get better from this? How do I find mm -hmm. the, the silver lining in this? You know, how do I transform myself through this? Because I know that that's the trajectory of pain, right? But those who don't have that, that resilience as a basis will have to, you know, work through it, but they'll still work through it and they'll still get to the, to the growth, to the gains. They just won't be as instinctual, right? Mm. Um, and then the, the two things that they've found that really uh, influence, I guess, influence positively our ability to get to post-traumatic growth are wait for it, spirituality, and a community of support. Those hmm. are the two things that really make a difference between whether or not someone is, is able to have that post-traumatic growth or to just get back to a place of like stableness and come back to that, that first level before they went and dipped down into that pit of darkness, right? So wow. whatever brings them up above that, that plateau is spirituality and or their community of support. Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah. I'm really glad you touched on the fact that if people weren't given that chance in life from the age, like from the ages of zero to five, um, that they can still reach that traje trajectory. I cannot say that word, trajectory. Um, but it just takes more choosing. It takes more conscious awareness of what they're going through. Um, because yeah, they, I feel there are people that, you know, are struggling and feel that they, you know, when you say, well, you're, you're going to be better after this pain, but if they're in the pain, they might not believe that they might not understand that they can be better after this pain, that it, it doesn't have to define them. And it's funny that 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 resilience thing comes in because that I see that in my pain in my life because everything that I've gone through that um, has been a traumatic or painful experience and there's there's been a good amount um, I always have looked back on it thinking how did I grow from that what did I learn from that and that's my immediate reaction after I get out of my you know pit of despair um, so I love that connection of of people who just weren't given that benefit of life that I might have been given during that time. Just, it, it's just a different path for them and they just have to, to choose. It's just not, it's not immediate. It's not an immediate reaction for them. And that's important to know, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of being that support system, you know, you and I are both light workers and we, we work with people in trauma and pain all the time. And I think, uh, you know, for me, there's a, a real spiritual side to what I do, but there's also a real, um, I'm, I, I guess I could call it a clinical side to what I do uh, because I've been in therapy for so long. And because, you know, I actually am thinking about going and getting a, an MFT, but, um, but the, the ideas of, of how these things intersect, I think it, it's important for us as lightworkers and as, as people who are part of 
the support system, that, that system of, of support for these people, for anyone in trauma, is that we validate. And so, yeah, saying something like, well, you're going to feel better on the other side of this. It might feel comforting to some people, but it, it might not feel validating to them in the moment, right? Like you said, when they're in pain. And so for me, it's, it's a balance when I'm working with my clients to, to let them know about the trajectory of pain in case that's something that they want to hold in their mind as, as, the, as the next step in their journey, as if they want to see down the road and see, okay, I know that that's there. So at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I want to really balance that with making sure that they feel seen and heard and letting them know it's okay to not, to not start your journey towards that light at the end of the tunnel yet. It's okay to sit here in this pit of despair for a little bit. That's all right. You, you can, it's a vacation. We're taking a little break mm -hmm. here. We are not unpacking and moving in, but you can, you can definitely chill here for a bit. That's fine. Sometimes our pain can be really helpful in that way. When we push down our pain and deny our pain and tell ourselves that it's not okay to feel that pain and we have to immediately get to that growth, that's when we find ourselves actually never healing from it because we're not able to just lean into that pain. It's like, it's like if you cut yourself on your arm and you go through the skin and the muscle, and, but once you heal, that cut is stronger where that, where that cut happened. The skin, the scar tissue, mm -hmm. the muscle, all of that makes it harder to puncture that skin and muscle again, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's stronger, it's more resilient, that part yeah. of your skin. But it only can be stronger and resilient if it heals. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't heal, it's gonna fester and it's gonna get infected and we might have to amputate the whole arm and then where will we be? Yeah. So you have to heal from it. You can't just ignore it. You have to treat it. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of trauma is that, you know, if you're in pain and if you're in trauma and, and you're having this, this dark pit of despair, if you're treating it, if you're working towards that healing, even if that means I'm going to sit in my pain for a bit because I want to feel my feelings and validate myself, that's fine. You do you. That's great. That's what I want for you. Because I know that once you're done sitting in your pit of despair, we will be ready to help you get out of here with your, our spirituality and our support of our community. And we'll get you to the post-traumatic growth. We'll get you to that light at the end of the tunnel because that's the trajectory. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's, it's sitting with that, sitting with that pain. And that's something that I'm talking about in my coaching course right now is our ability to be with pain because that is so important in the healing process is, is being able to sit with that. And I always say the, the first step to healing is acknowledgement. You have to acknowledge what you are feeling, what you are going through. Always. You, you cannot, like you said, push it down. The more you push it down, the more you deny, it's, it's going to build up and it's going to explode. It, it, it will. <laughs> it will explode. You will explode. I have done it. It has happened. Like mm -hmm. I, can, <laughs> I can attest to that. It will happen. So yes, acknowledgement, acknowledgement is key. And then once you acknowledge it, like you said, like as light workers in your community of support, like validate, validate your feelings, whatever you're feeling is valid. You know, something that I, I always um, kind of stop my clients on is when they say, oh, but that's, that's just dumb. I shouldn't feel that way. Oh, it's stupid that, I, that I'm thinking about this. I, I always, you know, lovingly say that is not dumb. It's not stupid that you're thinking about this. You are valid in whatever you're feeling. It is okay to acknowledge what you're actually, what feelings are actually coming up for you. Like that's okay. So yeah, I think that's, that I love that. And that, you know, giving them that, that hope, 
you can get here. It is possible. And I always say transformation is not fun and it's not easy, but it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like it is not yeah, fun. No, it's and messy and it's dark and it's awful. It's awful. The process is awful. But yeah, you're right. Once you get to the other side, you're like, dang, I'm so glad I did that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's not, yeah. when I say beautiful, I don't mean it's pretty. Like that's why I say it, it's, it's not pretty, <laughs> but when you, when you, when you can look back at it, you, you can say that is, it was a beautiful process, even though at times it was shit and I, you know, felt horrible at certain points. <laughs> like you, you reach that, you reach that, that point where you can look back. And I think it's also something to note is that transformation is not, there's no peak. There's no stopping point of healing or of transformation. And That's right. It, right. It, it's, it's, oh, yeah. I think it's so important to emphasize that, that it's a constant journey and you're never going to be done. When you said you were talking about how, um, the two keys to the trajectory of pain are spirituality and a community of support. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. So I did some research. Okay. Cause for the listeners, I had no idea what post-traumatic growth was um, when Maria mentioned it. So I did some Google searching and there were um, five main points that they talk about, which was spiritual change, new possibilities, personal strength, greater appreciation for life and closer relationships right. were um, the five. And I'll link some the sites that I use to look this up down below in case anyone's interested. But the spiritual change one, um, one question that was brought up in this post was when people go through trauma or something, you know, traumatic in their life, a lot of times or sometimes people could ask, you know, why did God let this happen to me? Mm -hmm. So I'd like, I'd like to touch on that, you know, because I've heard people say that, like they get a cancer diagnosis and they say, oh, how, you know, how did God let this happen to me? Like, why me? Totally. Um, I'm so glad you asked this question. So I, I am Catholic, just full disclosure. I am a Catholic who believes in reincarnation. Yes, it's true. I'm the worst <laughs> Catholic in the entire world and that's fine. I own it and I don't have Catholic guilt about it because I'm a convert. So I'm way too young of a Catholic to even know what Catholic guilt feels like. But <laughs> I just own the fact that I'm Catholic and, and also that, that I, I'm not very Catholic. <laughs> but so, um, the reason why I bring that up is because um, I'm going to say this first in a, in a very Christian-centric sort of way, and then I'm going to say it in the not Christian-centric sort of way. Um, so my ex-mother-in-law used to say this. She said the only times she had moments of doubt in Christ was when she had to ask herself the question, why do the innocent suffer? Right. And I mean, there are so many examples of that in our world right now. I could list them all day and I'm not going mm -hmm. to. I'm sure something popped up in your mind right then. And I'm sure oh, yeah. it, it will for the listeners. Mm -hmm. Why do the innocent suffer? And the answer is, if we're talking Christianity, Jesus Christ never said we wouldn't suffer. He said, if you follow me, if you want to be with me, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and be prepared to suffer with me. 
pick up your cross. Your cross is your suffering. It's your pain. No one ever said our life, just because we believe in Jesus Christ, was going to be beautiful and full of rainbows and butterflies. That was not mm. the promise. The promise was eternal life. That was mm. the promise. Okay. So that's the first thing uh, for Christians. For non-Christians, I truly believe that the pain that we experience is the gift. When we're talking about transformation, when we're talking about this beautiful journey that pain can be the catalyst for, pain is, generally speaking, always the catalyst for, mm -hmm. how could you not look at your suffering, at your pain as the gift? It's forging you. It's creating this opportunity for you to become your highest self, the, the person who becomes as close to God as possible. When we better ourselves through pain, when we better ourselves through trauma, when we experience that post-traumatic growth and on the other side of it, we are, we do have better relationships. We do have increased spirituality. We do have a better sense of our most authentic self. We do have a closeness and an awe for everything in the universe, every living thing. That makes us closer and closer and closer to whatever God you want to call it, universe, Buddha, Allah, whatever, it doesn't matter. I, I, again, I'm Catholic, but I'm one of those Catholics who believes that all gods are one God. <laughs> so really bad Catholic. Let me remind you again, very bad Catholic. <laughs> um, but so it doesn't matter what you call this universal energy or cosmos or spirit or whatever. And the point is, is that the pain is the gift that brings you closer to that. So. I love that. I love that. The pain is the gift that brings you closer to whatever you believe in. Yeah. That is, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's true. It's true. And I can say it's true. It's true for me. And it's true. I think for a lot of people, for most people that go on this journey and are on that trajectory and yeah, looking back at my pain, and I did, I did. After I, after I went through um, my trauma in Thailand, I did question God. I did question um, just what I believed in. And because I did grow up Catholic, and so it was more forced on me. Um, it wasn't really a choice. So this time after I went through that was really my time to choose. And as I've, you know, gone on this journey now, it's been a year and a half. Um, it is, I am closer to God than I ever have been, than I ever was growing up Catholic, than I ever was just going to church every Sunday. And because God is in my life every day. And I actually, I, I did a podcast about, about this. I haven't released it yet. But like the fact that a lot of people who grow up religious um, kind of reserve God for Sundays or whenever they go to church, or most, not most, quite a bit of Catholics turn into Easter and Christmas Catholics, <laughs> which is a thing. And um, whereas now that I, I say I'm more spiritual than I am religious, God is with me every day. I speak to him every day. And I love that you said you believe all gods are one God, because uh, I do too. And I, And when I started my healing journey, I um, started saying the phrase, everything is love. And I didn't know why I started saying that or where it came from, but I believed it wholeheartedly. 
and I started reading the book A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Mm. If anyone hasn't read it, you should read it. It's amazing. I haven't read it. I'm going to have to read it. Oh, you got to read it. It's so great. Um, but in it, she talks about how God is love and God is everywhere. So love is everywhere and everything is love. And I, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been saying. This is what I've been talking about. So yeah, I think the pain brings you closer and that's so true. Yeah. Um, it's funny. My, my dad always gave me this uh, metaphor. It's a metaphor. That's the word. Wow. I need more <laughs> coffee. My dad, my dad gave me this metaphor when I was a kid all the time that I now apply to the concept of, of God, spirituality, and religion. Uh, but when he gave it to me as a kid, it was about perspective. So he would say, Maria, your perspective is always going to be like a little doily, like a paper doily, right? That you hold up to your eye and you can see through the hole of the doily and that's all you can see. But if you just shift the doily, just, just a quarter turn counterclockwise, you're looking through now a different hole on the doily and your entire perspective changes. The view that you see changes. So always be willing to just shift your perspective a little bit. Mm. So that was the lesson that my dad always gave me as a kid. The way I apply it to religion and God is that I believe, I've just seen it too many times. I mean, for goodness sake, you read the Quran and they talk about Mary, mother of God, more times in the Quran than they do in the Bible for crying out loud, right? They're all the same stories. It's just different wording. Uh, but so if you, if you think about religion, each religion has a little hole on that doily. And on the other side of that doily is the wide expanse of God's universe. So if we are looking through this tiny window on a little piece of paper or through a little lens in, or a little hole in a piece of lace, all we see is the, is the very small box that each religion has put God into. But God is so much bigger. His, his her, their, its universe is so much bigger than any of us will ever be able to understand in, in, a, in an incarnated life. Mm -hmm. Once we're not in an incarnated body, maybe we will have a better glimpse of what exactly this universe is. But every, that's why I say all gods are one God, because all gods, all religions are actually part of the same doily. Mm -hmm. They're all just blocking our view from everything else that's out there. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that metaphor. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Super interesting yeah. to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The lessons that stick with us from childhood, man. Right, right. Oh. Um, so we, we touched on the spirituality aspect of this trajectory. And the other aspect is the relationships, is the community of support that we have mm -hmm. that helps us. So what I want to touch on is, you know, what if people don't feel like they have that community of support? I'm so glad that you brought this up. Um, and this is where I'm going to talk about Brene Brown. So... Um, Brene Brown is the world's foremost expert on shame and vulnerability. She teaches at UH in Houston, and she gave this incredible TED Talk about, I want to say 10 years ago at TEDx Houston, and you can find it on YouTube. Quick search is Brene Brown, The Power of Vulnerability, and it's uh, maybe 15 minutes. It's not long, and it's phenomenal. Um, and then she also has a Netflix special now and a bunch of other tons of best-selling books and this amazing podcast and she's incredible. Um, but 
she talks about vulnerability being the key to living a wholehearted life and that we as a Western culture or just as a general global culture have mistaken the definition of the word vulnerability to mean weakness when it actually increases our strength and resilience. Um, but more importantly, uh, she talks about shame and shame, according to her, which she's done like a bajillion years of research on this. And I think it's a really beautiful definition for shame is that it is the very visceral, painful feeling of being unworthy of love and connection. And that's what we're all here for. We are all hardwired for love and connection. And so when we feel like we are unworthy of love and connection, we go into shame. Now studies have shown, her studies have shown, and other studies have shown that the only thing, there's only one thing that kills shame dead, one thing. And that is the spoken word being met with empathy. So when you are in shame and you feel like you are unworthy for love and connection and you hold on to it and you say nothing to anyone, your shame grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And it never, you, you cannot beat it back by yourself. It's impossible. When you speak it out loud to someone and are met with empathy, it immediately loses its power over you. It's amazing how it happens. I encourage everyone to try it. Find one thing that you feel in shame about and go tell your therapist or go tell your, your friend, any friend, uh, your mom, I don't care, anybody, one person, and you will see how quickly your shame dissipates. So if people feel like they don't have a huge community of support, that's okay. Um, there are communities of support to be found out there. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe in talk therapy. Um, I've been in therapy now for many years. I do individual therapy every week and group therapy every week. And group therapy is a beautiful way to receive that, that validation from others in a community setting. Um, so that's one way. Another way is, is to put yourself out there. I mean, I know social media can be a dangerous place and you have to be prepared for, for whatever you have to be prepared for. But you know, now Facebook has filters for every post you do. You can filter it for only your closest friends. Same thing with Instagram. You can filter your stories for all your closest friends only. Um, and just being able to put yourself out there and asking for validation. If you know you're in shame, if you know you're in pain, if you know you need help getting out of this pit, asking for help, you will receive it. I have never ever once in my life asked for help and not received it because that's just, that's how we are. Again, we are hardwired for love and connection. We wanna be there for other people. How good does it feel when someone asks you to help and then you can actually help? It feels great. So imagine having the faith and the courage to ask someone else for help and then allowing them the honor of showing up for you. That's vulnerability. When you're able to be vulnerable with somebody and ask them for help and then receive it in return, get that empathy that you need, kill your shame, you're on your way. You're on your way to that healing. So my answer to the question, which is what do I say to those people who don't feel that they don't have a community? My answer is you do have a community. You just haven't found it yet or you, you are keeping yourself from believing that you have it, but you do have one. Mm. Everyone has one. Mm. That's super. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just might take you stepping out and you having the courage to find that community. Um, and I think a quote that 
I've said so many times is that um, having courage is not the absence of fear. Having courage means that you're scared, but you're going to do it anyway. Oh, oh, I so, oh my God. Yes, absolutely. A thousand times. Yes. Yeah. So um, another point that, that I'd like to add is like, if someone listening has reached out and has not received help or has, has been met with not someone not acknowledging the shame that they're feeling or someone bringing shame back on them about what they shared mm-hmm. to understand as well as you can understand this, that if someone is projecting pain onto you, it is not your pain. It is their pain. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes. I was just talking to a client about this yesterday, um, how she's worried about leaning on her, on her own support system because she's worried about the reaction that they'll have to her traumas and her pain. And, and I said to her, you know, again, thinking about this quote that the greatest gift you can ever give is your story, right? If you are vulnerably allowing yourself to be seen by others, and you are giving them the honor, because it is, it's an honor. You're giving them the honor to show up for you and they spectacularly fail at that, either by shaming you for it or being triggered and shutting down or just not responding or not supporting you in the ways that you feel are necessary or not validating you or any other way. If they fail spectacularly, then you know. You know that this was not the person to come to. It does not mean that you were not worthy of the validation or support. It just means that they were not worthy of the honor of showing up for you. That's what it means. So you try someone else. That's the beauty. Let that bounce off of you. Try as hard as you can to let that, sometimes it's, I mean, for me, shame is my favorite place to live. That's why I'm such an expert in Brene Brown because I've done a lot of research into her work because shame is my favorite little cubby hole to put myself into. Mm. So it's really hard for me when I, when I vulnerably put myself out there to not be received in that way. Um, but I have to remember that not everyone is, is ready to receive me in that way. And that has nothing to do with me or my, my worthiness to be received. It has everything to do with them, their traumas, their triggers, their preparedness, their, their bandwidth. Maybe they're going through their own stuff right now. They don't have energy or, or space or time for me in that way. There are a lot of possibilities. Um, another thing that I would say to anyone who's listening who feels kind of backed into a corner. I don't have a community or I have a community and they're horrible to me (laughs) or I have yet to ever find someone who could support me in the ways that I wanted or needed. I wholeheartedly beg you to reach out to me or Chelsea. Let us be that person for you. It's okay to seek a professional to be a part of your support system. That's why my biggest support in my life is my therapist. Not because she's my best friend. I pay her to do her job, but I pay her so that way I know that no matter what, I always have someone there to hear me out so I can process. And we've built up a beautiful rapport and I know she's a very empathetic person. And that's another thing. Never, ever, 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 ever stay with a therapist who doesn't validate you. 
Mm-hmm. Seriously, y'all, you have mm-hmm. got to find a therapist who understands you and gets you and treats you the way you want to be treated. If you are delicate little flower right now and you need your therapist to hold your hand gently and speak to you in soft tones, say that. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, find, find one who can. Believe mm-hmm. me, I've been through that too many times. So take my wisdom in this. Learn from my mistakes. Do not stick with therapists who don't get you. Um, but so it's okay to hire a professional to be that support system for you. It doesn't mean that, that that support isn't real. It just means that that support is going to be what you need because that's our job. That's what we've, what we've learned and educated ourselves and worked towards being able to do is to support people who feel like they have no support. Yes. So come to us. Yes, 100%, 100%. That's, we are here for you. Like. Um, we will accept you. We will validate you. We will just love you. And I think that is, that's what I always put out, right? Is just, I want to be someone that you feel safe with. I want to be a sacred space that you can come to and just be completely and authentically you and feel like you don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to prove anything to me. Like you can just be you. You can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. Wow. This was such a beautiful and powerful talk. I am just, wow. I'm just filled with, (laughs) filled with light right now. Um, do you want to share if anyone wants to get in contact with you, um, where they can find you and all of Maria's links will be down below. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do that. My Instagram for my healing page is at ascending arts. That's a S C E N D I N G A R T S. And then my, my poetry account, if you feel like, really diving into some incredibly vulnerable raw shit you can follow me at at beautiful little drugs and then uh, my website is where you will be able to book any sessions if you if you want to do any healing with me and that is uh www.ascendingarts.exchange e-x-c-h-a-n-g-e so yeah i hope you'll come visit me reach out do all of those things Yes, reach out to her. She is amazing at distance Reiki, I can attest. Um, She is such a beautiful soul. And I am so grateful that you joined me for this episode today. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, love. This was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. I hope that you resonated with some of what we said and um, maybe even learned something. If you like this episode, if you like the podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me and it would mean a lot. Um, I will be back with you guys next week. I'm sending my love and my light to you always. Mm -hmm.